there. If you have a Bible, we're going to open up to Exodus 33 once again. We'll be reading from 33 and 34 tonight. We'll be retreading some ground from 33. So if you weren't here last week, um, we'll uh, catch you up. And uh, I think there's still some still some uh, some truth from chapter 33 that we haven't uh, yet got to. Um, so last time was one of the most difficult but also the most relevant conversations that we've had in our study so far um, in Exodus and in this kind of uh, this, this closing study that is about being a friend of God. Um, of course, Moses is the quintessential friend of God in chapter 33. He is called the friend of God. Um, and uh, we've, we've really read this story that's about the nation of Israel. It's about God revealing himself, but it's all really centered, centered around um, the, the person of Moses, who is started, as, uh, started out as the prince of Egypt, but then found a, a better identity as the friend of God, as the leader of Israel, and as the one who uh, saw things that he never would have imagined he would be a witness to. So um, again, if you weren't with us, um, the scene in Exodus 33 is that God told Israel that it's time to move. Um, you've been at the mountain too long. I've given you all the word that I can give you. I've prepared you. I've told you how to build the sanctuary. I've prepared you for the sacrificial system. He tells them that um, the preparation is, has, has ended. It's time to move on. It's time to head toward the promise. Land, but then he adds a caveat, he adds an asterisk to that commandment, and he says, I gotta tell you though, I'm not going with you. To which Moses says, What? Um, you've led us here. Um, if we, we wouldn't have got out of Egypt without you, we wouldn't have got across the Red Sea without you, we would have starved in the lead up to Mount Sinai without you, because the water would have been poison the water was poisonous, there was no bread, there was no quail. So you got us here, God. We've saw your gl- glory at the top of the mountain, we've received from you. And you're not going with us. And God says, of course, I, I, I've done all that, and I'm not taking any of that back. And I will always, you'll will always have those memories. But Moses, I've got to tell you, I won't be joining you or the nation on your trek to the promised land. My presence will not be escorting you. It will not be with you, and I will not be. And of course, in these days, God did not live in the hearts of people, right, as he does in, 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 in the church age, as he does because of Christ. But we haven't got to that part of the story yet. But God would dwell with them as a pillar of uh, fire, a pillar of cloud that would be a sign of his, his presence. But also, they could feel his presence. And it was clear that he was around them and within them and, and working miracles for them. But he tells Moses, I am not going with you. And rightfully so, that scared them to death, right? Um, they have not been without God's presence for a long time now. They've seen the difference that God's presence makes, and all of a sudden the idea that they're going to be alone in the desert, not really knowing which way to go because whichever way you look, it looks the same. They were terrified of the idea of moving on without God. And the reality of, or the reason that God was not going to go with them, we find out, is they just weren't in the right place with Him. Uh, their hearts were not right. Their mindset was not right. Yet, the commandment that it was time to move on still, stay, still laid over them that just because they were not in the right place, it didn't mean that God was suddenly going to slow down the timeline or God's kingdom was going to suddenly take a day off from progressing and moving forward. Um, just because they weren't ready didn't mean that God wasn't ready and didn't mean that the commandment he gave to them and the order he gave to them and, and, and the plan that he was, he was working out um, was suddenly postponed. Now, this is the equivalent of the Bible giving us commandments, which the Word of God always is telling us that we should do this or we shouldn't do something. The Bible gives us commandments all times, right? And there aren't exceptions as to when we should obey those commandments, right? There aren't exceptions to when we should do this or when we shouldn't do this or when we should be this kind of person or 
not that kind of person. God doesn't say, well, hey, if you're not feeling it or if it's not working out today, suddenly you're no longer accountable. That's just not the case, right? Uh, but what, with, with us, it's not just about being in a place where obedience seems possible or going forward seems uh, achievable. We've all been at this place where the word does not change, where we know what we should do. We know there are things that we shouldn't do. We know there is this overall goal that God is calling us to, 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 to head towards, whether for our families, for our churches, for our, um, just for us as, as part of his kingdom. Um, God's desire in his will for us is that we should always progress, right? The New Testament has this constant idea, this constant sin of motion that we should obey God. We should move forward for God. We should give. We should serve. We should love. There, there's never times that we should pray whether we should love or not, right? That that commandment is over us every day. We should love one another. We should give and, and, and find a way to give to somebody in, to some, in some way every day. That every day we know there are certain commandments that are just over us that as Christians, as God's people, we, shouldn't, we should want to do, right? We should want to make progress and, and, and make a difference and somehow make a dent in our society for the, good, for the goodness and the kingdom of God. We don't pray about doing these things. We know that they are just musts that we should do. The Holy Spirit is always moving within us and around us, pushing us in this direction. But sometimes, and we've been there before, sometimes there are days when we're just not feeling it, right? There are days when it's just whether the circumstances that we controlled or whether they're circumstances that we just couldn't control. Some days we find ourselves in these places or in these, in these valleys of life where it, it, we just don't, either we don't feel like it or we just haven't been living like we should, right? And it doesn't mean the Bible changed, right? The Word still says we should do X, Y, and Z. The commandments are still over us. We know as Christians who we should be and what we should do, yet we just aren't in a place where that really seems possible, right? It's not like we can just turn a switch on, right? And, and, and who's to blame? We can go all night talking about it, but it's just not something that we're really in a good place for. And just like God came to the children of Israel and he said, listen, y'all, you know that I haven't, you know, that, that, you, that, that all of a sudden that progress is, 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 off the, is off the books. I've told you it's time to move forward. But I got to tell you, because you aren't in the right place, I can't go with you. So it seems like that God says, hey, my commandments are you should do this, but my blessing isn't on you so as to facilitate and so as to help it actually be possible. Um, and we talked about this tension um, that we feel when we know what we should do, but we just don't know if we can do it or we don't feel like it's possible. And, and there's a lot of ways to, 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 to approach that. But this confusion we deal with when it seems like God is saying go and woe at the same time. Now, God's, you know, he could have just not told Israel that he wasn't going with them, right? If he was an unmerciful God, if he was just, a, you know, a malevolent and, and, and just maniacal, you know, ruthless God, he would have just said, hey, it's time to go, but not told them that he wasn't going with them. And as soon as they got a few miles away from the mountain, they probably would have been consumed by some band of, of, of enemies or some, some disaster that would have came upon them, right? That he could have told, he could have not told them that it was not smart to go without him, but he was, because he's merciful and because he doesn't want to lead us into a, a, a bad situation, he told them, he gives us a heads up, he give, gave them a heads up that, hey, the commandment is that you should go, but I want to just warn you that you're not in the right place. And you know that you're not in the right place, but I just want to make, make you aware that things just aren't where they should be. And, and it makes no sense to think that God would say go and woe at the same time. But I think we've all been there before because maybe this is why, and, and I think this is true for a lot of people, this is why people avoid the Bible 
It's why people avoid listening to worship music. It's why people avoid church. Uh, because we know that God's not going to stop saying go, right? God's not going to stop saying love and, and grow and, and obey and, and, and do, the, do the things that we know we should do. That that's not going to change, right? And we kind of feel that tension and we just feel like if we just ignore it, that we won't feel the conviction that I promise you it's for our good, but it doesn't always feel good, right? Essentially, it comes down to a place where God's will has been stated. His word does not make exceptions or change because we might not be ready or able to do it. And, and, and to kind of make it more clear, hopefully make it more clear, God's will and God's word are constantly challenging us and compelling us, right? If you read the Bible, you're always challenged, you're always compelled for the good of, of, of everybody. Yet, because God is kind, God by his kind and, 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 and helpful spirit is honest with us. That means that God is not surprised by anybody. God's not a gotcha kind of God. He's not a, so he doesn't like to surprise people or catch you off guard. He wants to help you, right? And because God's spirit is kind and because he is gracious, he's honest with us, right? And he'll make us aware, hey, this is just not where it needs to be right now. And that doesn't make this not necessary. But I just want to let you know that unless this changes, you're not ever going to get to where you know you should be. So God is honest with us and he's helpful helpful if we're not where we need to be, not prepared to take that next step. And so the onus falls back on us. What do we do when God says go and woe at the same time? Now, the, the story that we learned from last week is that we should do whatever it takes to get closer to God, that we should do whatever it takes to draw closer to God. We should pray, we should lean into, we should talk to, we should worship God just like Moses did. And, and, and Moses, we read in the story, he barters with God, he pleads with God. He, he, he says, Lord, we do not want to leave this mountain without you, without your presence going with us. We, we, we understand that we have to go, but we aren't going to go until we reconcile the difference, that we reconcile this disconnect that is clear between us and you. Moses didn't let the bad news defeat him. He let the bad news direct him to the better news that God could give them. Now, Moses set out on this quest early in his life to find and meet and know the one true God, and he wasn't about to give up on this journey, and he knew that this was not God saying, I'm done with you. It was God saying, I want things to be as best as they can be, and he didn't point the finger at the rest of the nation. And, and that's really important, that, that it's easy when this seems, in, especially in a church community, it's easy as a church when we feel like that we're not making progress, and this happens in our families too, that it's easy to point the finger, you know, blame your kids, blame your spouse, blame somebody that's not even, maybe doesn't live with you, but they impact you in a major way, your boss, your employees, your, your coworkers, right, people that their moods that you have apart from home come home with you. Regardless of what it might be, it's easy to point the finger and say, well, they're the problem. But Moses models for us something very important. When he gets this bad news, the scripture says in verse number seven, if you'll remember, that Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. This was sort of like a prototype of the actual t the place they would build later on. It came to pass that, when ev that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was, whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, that all the people rose, and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass, when Moses entered the tabernacle, the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend 
He would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. So what we learn from this is that Moses, when he got this bad news, when he got the word from God that, hey, things aren't good and your people are not living right and nobody's in the right place, and so I can't go with you lest I consume you, but you need to figure out what's gonna, you know, what, what, what you're going to do because time's running out. Y'all got to leave. Y'all need to head down the road. So Moses, instead of pointing fingers and blaming, and listen, this just came out a chapter after half the people were worshiping a golden cow, right? Moses had plenty of people he could have blamed, but he took the responsibility on his own shoulders and his own heart he did what he could do to address his own spiritual gaps and hope that the rest would follow suit and of course as we read they also began to turn toward the Lord as he did he led by example but what we're learning from Moses is that Moses took this this warning from God as a next step in his journey to fulfill his destiny. Now, his destiny wasn't, it wasn't unique compared to the rest of the nation, but every one of these people in this story, they have been given the invitation to meet, know, and walk with God as a friend. Now, Moses is the one who's really leading the show, right? He's the one that spotlight is on. But this is not just for Moses, it's for all of us, but Moses is leading by example that every one of us has a destiny, every one of us has this invitation from God to meet, know, and walk with God as a friend walks with their friend. And that's what Moses said. I don't know about the rest of the nation, but I know this is just God lighting a fire under me. I need to fulfill my destiny. I've met him. I know him, but I want to walk even closer with him as a friend of God. When God told Moses the bad news, Moses did not submit to the bad. He turned to his God. He knew there was more to the story, and it's so important for us to remember when we get bad news, when we get bad news, and it may even be, have been you know, God's will that we go through this trial or this challenge that kind of sets us back. I'm not trying to dismiss God's sovereignty. Not all bad news is from the enemy. Sometimes what we think is bad news is really just God preparing us for something even better. The purpose of any bad news is to drive us to God. So when Moses heard this, 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 hey, things are not where they need to be, and, and I don't know if you've realized this, Moses, but y'all just are not where you should be as a nation. You're not where you need to be as a leader, and hey, things are just not right. Moses took this as an opportunity to get even closer to God. The enemy would love for you to receive bad news and let that defeat you, but God wants you to take that bad news and, and bring it to him. Now, you'll remember in the uh, later on in the Old Testament, there's a story of King Hezekiah King Hezekiah was uh, the leader of Israel whenever the nation of Assyria was threatening them and, and coming against them. Um, Assyria had wiped out the nation of Israel, and Judah, the southern kingdom, was only the only tribe that was left. Hezekiah was the king, and Hezekiah received a letter from a man, from a man named Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. Um, Sennacherib, the, the, the name of that king, it literally means the man of sin, uh, the, the, the man of the enemy, right? So this is really a stand-in for the devil, for Satan, for or the enemy of God, writing a letter to Hezekiah. And the letter pretty much said this, listen, you're, you're a fraud. You're not, you're not really a, a God's man. You haven't done a good job at leading God's people. And who are you to, con who are you to think that you're actually going to you know, convince the nation not to give up or, and, 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 and be afraid um, when, when my armies have surrounded your teeny tiny puny little nation? So Hezekiah, you ought to give up. You ought to surrender. And you ought to just confess to your people that you don't know what you're doing. Hezekiah, needless to say, was terrified. His health was affected by this. Later on in the story, Hezekiah is deathly sick because of all the anxiety and all the stress and all the, you know, just the, the pressure that had been on him during this time as king. 
But when Hezekiah received this letter, when Hezekiah received this bad news from the enemy, the scripture says that Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and he read it and he went to the house of the Lord and he spread it before the Lord. He laid it out before God. Now, he wasn't dismissing it. He wasn't trying to say, well, God, you deal with it, and I'm not going to do my job as king. He was just simply turning to God and saying, God, I'm not going to let this bad news disconnect me from you. In fact, I, I would love for it to be a stepping stone for me to get closer to you. God, see what God will do with it before you surrender to it and do whatever it wants you to do. And this is so important, even more important when it appears there are gaps in our walk with God when a message convicts you, and sometimes the, the bad news, it seems like what God is trying to say to us is, is difficult, right? Um, when God's word convicts us, we shouldn't let the enemy tell us that we're disqualified because that's what he loves to do uh, with, with the word of God, with a message from God, is to try to convince us that there's so much, there's such a big gap between where we should be and where we are that we should just forget even trying. But just know this, that God never says anything to you God's word does not come to you. A message from God does not come to you to, with the purpose of disqualifying you. God does not give you a word or nothing happens from, from, from the, under God's watch that it would try to disconnect you from him. He always intends that it, that it propel you forward. And the good news reminds us that no bad news can disqualify us. God's grace qualifies and it equips us to overcome whatever situation that we might be going through. And Moses took the bad news as an opportunity to become better and get closer. And that's exactly what happened. He knew that it was God's will for them to leave Sinai and to make progress. It was not God's will. It was not God's desire for them to ever be without him. He knew that leaving Sinai without God was not a good idea, but he also knew that say, staying at Sinai with him was not the right idea. So he just focused on getting himself and the people to the place they needed to be with God so they could successfully take their next step and reach the next level. And that's what God wants for all of us. God wants us to reach the next level, and next level can be a, a lot of different things depending on where you are in your walk with God. He wants you to reach that next level, but if we're not ready, he is good enough to tell us and help us with each step. Listen, you might not be able to do nothing but take a little tiny baby step in the right direction. But God is there to help you take that next step because he ultimately wants to help you reach that next level in your faith. So by all means, Moses' conversation with God that we're going to read is not out of line. He begins to negotiate with God. He begins to barter with God. Read with me verses 12 through 16. Moses said to the Lord, See you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. As in God's presence. Excuse me. Who will send with me? Yet yeah, you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. So God's just saying, hey, Moses is saying, God, you told me you would go with me, but you also said you're not. So I'm kind of confused, and how am I supposed to talk to the people when I don't know what to do with this? Therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me your way that I may know you and I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. So Moses just kind of goes back to, to ground zero, what he knows. He knows that Israel belongs to God. He knows that God started this. He knows God does not want to abandon them. So he just kind of says, hey, God, help me figure this out. And God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Responding to Moses' 
worship, responding to the nations seeking him, responding to the nations' devotion to him and to Moses' prayers. He said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us from this here. So he says, listen, God, until we get this right, we're not going to move because we don't want to make, make this step in the wrong direction without your help. If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will, we, will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. So God and Moses, they come to this place of remind, remembering what God has promised and God promising to continue to fulfill that that's him. So by all means, Moses is trying to figure this out. That's not out of line. It's right in line with where God wants us to be. It conveys someone who is bold and confident and dependent on God. Now let me kind of bring some New Testament into this to make, help make some more sense. When Jesus taught the disciples the Lord's Prayer, he went on to tell a parable. Um, and, and this is really in line with how Moses and God just talked there. In Luke, Luke 11, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And he, when he finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And of course, we all know the prayer that he taught them, but Jesus wasn't done. He said to them, which of you has a friend and will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Now, nobody in this setting or in this country would do this because it was just so improper and it was just so embarrassing, right? Who would go to someone at midnight and, and it's just so, out, so you know, not kosher a, a part of the culture. But notice the, the parable Jesus is telling. He says, if you had a friend and you went to that friend at midnight, but you're not going for yourself, you're going for a friend of mine who has arrived at your house. A friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. So Jesus tells this just outlandish, unlikely to ever happen scenario that you have a friend who showed up at your house at midnight. He's hungry. So then you go to your other friend and ask him if you can be loaned three loaves of bread because your friend is really hungry because you want to feed him and you don't have anything to feed him. So you go to your friend and ask him to provide food for this person that he's never met. <laughs> Again, Jesus loved to tell these parables that are so far-fetched from actually ever happening to emphasize something about God. He will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. So Jesus says, of course, of course, the friend would say to you, you're crazy. Go home. But you keep knocking and you keep asking. And then he continues to hear the story. He continues to hear you play the story back, you know, play the story through his head. You mean you're here to ask for bread for your friend because he showed up at your house. So you showed up at my house. And Jesus said, I tell you, though he will not get up and give anything because of his, he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, because of your audacity, because of just how shameless that sort of request actually was, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And Jesus draws this parallel. I tell you, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone... Who asks, receives. The one who seeks will find. To the one who knocks, it will be opened. So Jesus describes, they're asking him, hey, what is it, what do we got to do to get to God? How can we get God's attention? Jesus tells a parable about someone who is not willing to take no for an answer to get the door opened. 
to find the need to, to bring that connection that, that might be lost, that God is a good father and he enjoys, he actually requires that we seek him and, and, and as in any relationship that we want to be in conversation with him. And I guess the reason we might not be comfortable with this scenario, it implies and suggests that we might can leave something on the table when it comes to where we are and where we can be with God if we aren't persistent enough. We don't like that, that, that scenario, do we? We don't like there to be a possibility that we might miss something from God if we aren't persistent and if we don't seek him and we don't knock at the door and we don't ask. We don't like the idea that we might miss something just because we aren't as diligent as somebody else. But come on, in any relationship, if you aren't present, what happens to the relationship? It dies, right? That goes for anything in any part of life. But when we're talking about having a relationship with the God of the universe, do you think it's any different? Listen to all these examples and, and, and little excerpts of parables that Jesus told about the kingdom of God. Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven, this treasure that is found only in God, it's like a treasure that's hidden in a field. And unless you get the biggest bulldozer and plow the whole field up, you might miss it. You mean if, if I don't dig up every little bit of dirt, I might miss something? What, that this, you know, I don't have time for that. I don't, I don't, that's yeah, just not part of my, I just don't, I, that's just not going to work for me. But Jesus tells this parable of this man who in his joy sold everything that he had, bought that field and plowed the thing up looking for whatever he might could find that he was convinced was unrivaled. He told another parable, uh, actually he told another uh, vision of, of what it's going to be like in eternity when he said this in Matthew 19, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold. That doesn't mean money. That means the, the, based on what you gave up, whatever you gave up isn't anything compared to what you're going to receive in eternal life, the joy and the fulfillment of your quest to find God in eternal life. I mean, that's a big, that's a big statement to make, isn't it? You don't hear that one preached a lot. That's talking about in eternity. Some people take that and they chop the eternal life part out and they make it seem like this is some sort of earthly reward. That's talking about what we're going to receive in eternity based on what we were willing to give up to discover about God, to find about God, to connect with God. Luke 9, Jesus said pretty bluntly, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. That if you don't look forward and see what you're plowing for the, for, to search and find what God has in store, you're not going to find it, you're not going to receive it. Hebrews 11 summarizes it pretty uh, better than I can. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So again, again, as in any relationship, if we're not present, we won't find what we need. But in this scenario with the God of the universe, it seems like the stakes are even higher, aren't they? When we know there's this disconnect between where we are and where we need to be, where God wants us to be, when we seek him, he will answer us. Now, of course, his response may not always be what we would have dreamed up. But when our faith is in God, we set aside our measly expectations and we gladly receive whatever he has in store for us. 
And so through prayer, through devotion, through dedication, and heartfelt, passionate pursuit, God tells Moses that he will indeed go with him and the people that he always intended and desired to go with them. And, but because the last portion of Exodus is very Moses-focused, using him as exhibit A for someone in a relationship with God, someone who truly came to know God, it's really the beauty of Exodus as a narrative. And I want to back up and kind of, kind of look at this from a thousand feet. Um, the, the whole story of, of Exodus so far has been about the birth of Israel, the introduction of Yahweh as the one true God, all through the lens of Moses. It's all been told through his perspective, through his situation. So while it's really just the beginning, it comes at this place of resolution and accomplishment. And as this book is coming to an end, um, we, we really get the spotlight on Moses. Again, there's so much more in store for Israel. There's so much more in store for the world. But for Moses, this really comes to a point of climax, to a place of fulfillment. As this entire time he's been following, seeking out this one true God, He's been following this invitation that was given to him to know God and belong to him. That invitation given him back in chapter 3 of Exodus, come up to the mountain and meet me. Moses said yes to God way back. And here at the end of the story, Moses has made his way to the mountain of God and overcome all these setbacks with the promised land still in front of him. He steps into this role of this chosen one of God, this vessel for God to change the world through and with. As the story comes to a close, Moses makes an incredible request from God that I don't think no reader and no preacher can put it in perspective, but I want to try before we leave. God, Moses says to God, I got one more thing to ask him. Will you please show me your glory? It's a very broad request, but here's what I think this means. This is Moses saying and confessing to God, God, Way back, years ago, 40 plus, I don't know how many years ago at this point, God, you invited me to follow you up this mountain. You invited me to know you and to belong to you. You told me that if I followed you, nothing would compare to this. You told me that I would be the way that the whole world would come to know who you are. I don't know where you're going with this eternal, you know, in the long run. I don't know how this has impacted everybody else in the country, but I just got to tell you, God, I am 100% in. There is no one like you. There is no one besides you. I have seen so much. I've experienced so much. God, I know you're not asking for me to make a bigger commitment. I know that I'm in and you've saved us by your grace and by your kindness. But I just want to say to you, these last few years, these last few days have fully convinced me there is nothing compared to knowing you. And God, I want to just make this one more request because since, since you know, you're answering and since I'm here with you, will you can, can you show me, can you show me the fullness of your glory? I've got a taste of it. I've seen, I've seen a glimpse of it. I've, I've witnessed a little bit around the edges. But God, if there's another level I can get to, if there's another place I can get to, if there's, more, if there's, there's still room for me to grow, God, I don't want to leave here. I don't want to end this journey without showing you and telling you I'm willing to do whatever I've got to do to get as close to you as I can. Now listen, Moses has got his insurance in his back pocket. He's going to heaven, right? I mean, he's already, he's already seen the glory on the other side of the mountain. This isn't, you know, this isn't Moses sitting in church saying, I've been saved and I've been baptized. I'm just riding this thing out. This is Moses saying, I've seen more than anybody's ever going to see, and yet, God, I still want more. I'm not satisfied with just being a little closer. I want to get as close as I can be. This is Moses calling back to something we learned early on in this study. 
saying there is truly a God who is bigger and beyond our wildest imagination, more glorious than anyone or anything that calls us in this life, who is giving us the opportunity to receive inspiration, to receive revelation, and to receive Let's go to the next slide. To receive inspiration, revelation, and receive fullness. And that is worthy of the pursuit and sacrifice, whatever it might cost, whatever it might require. God's response is one of the most intense, but also one of, that is very gracious. Listen to God in verse 20, verse 19. I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So this is God pretty much telling Moses, listen, Moses, this isn't really how it works. I mean, I'm in charge here. You know, I run the show. I pick who I pick. And I, you know, I, I've got all these decisions already made. And I've never had somebody walk up to me and say, I want more. But he says to him, you cannot see my face for nobody can see my face and live. Moses, you don't really realize who you're talking to, do you? And I think he's smiling when he's saying this. Lord, the Lord said, here is a place by me. You shall stand on the rock, so it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand when I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you will see my back. And again, this is God talking in language that Moses can understand. But my face shall not be seen. And again, face and back, is that really, you know, that's so small to describe the presence of God, but it's the way he's describing it to Moses. Moses, getting this close should be impossible, but your passion and your desire will not go unfulfilled. God is waiting for us to chase after him in this same sort of way, to seek him with this same sort of desire, to read and pray and set our hearts toward him. I want to show you some scripture in closing that the Holy Spirit, I think, is saying to us. And it's in the Bible because the Holy Spirit was saying it to us. But it's, it's really a prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesian church. But I believe the Holy Spirit is praying for us along these same lines of opening our hearts up for all that God has in store for us. There's two separate prayers in Ephesians, but they really work together. Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. So that's a lot of religious language, right, to say in short, that you might know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? That is Paul saying, listen, you just haven't got an idea of what God wants to do and who God truly is and the God that you can know. I'm just praying that you'll open up your eyes to what God wants to do. He isn't finished praying. In chapter 3, he goes on. That according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. What if we started praying, open my eyes. 
free my mind, enlarge my heart. God is willing to make a way for us to receive his fullness if we just turn his way. Notice how this experience begins for Moses, and we'll get into this more next time, but listen in verse 34, 34.1. God says to Moses, cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first ones which you broke. God says to Moses, listen, you must come to me as a blank slate, willing and ready for me to speak and inspire and write on your heart what I want, whether it means erasing anything that shouldn't be there and replacing anything that shouldn't be there. Now, if we have God's Word, and we do, in the revelation that is already in writing, which we do, we can still come before it and before Him as a blank slate, allowing Him to write on our hearts. Psalm 119 says, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Notice how this continues, verse 2. So be ready in the morning. Come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. No man shall come with you and let no man be seen throughout all the mountains. Let neither flocks nor herds feed before that mountain. So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. Moses rose up early in the morning, went up to Mount Sinai. As the Lord had commanded him, he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. So we find here that we must be ready, be early, and be alone. That we must be ready as in desiring and eager that God would move and God would make a difference. Be early as in before we do anything else and as above every other priority. Now, the part about being alone does not discount community. The emphasis, obviously, is on community. This whole book is about the nation of God. But the point here is that a relationship with God isn't something we can experience vicariously or through somebody else. It can be strengthened through others, but it cannot be started through others. It should and better lead us to a conversation and joint devotion with our friends and our family and our church. But if you want to get deeper and you want to get closer, it's going to require personal pursuit and personal sacrifice. To see and experience God's fullness, we must be emptied for Him, be engaged with Him, and be exclusive to Him. Be emptied of anything else, be engaged with him and him only and exclusively belonging to him. Verse five through seven, and it reads, now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood before him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generation. That's who God is. He is absolute. He's absolute and limitless in power over us, but he is absolute and endless in his love, his grace, and his mercy unto us. Those things should be contrary to one another, but God is both all-powerful, but absolutely all-loving. Our God is a consuming fire. His holiness burns against sin, but his grace shines brightness into darkness. Verse 8 says that Moses made haste and bowed his head to the earth and worshiped. Then he said, If I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are stiff-necked people, pardon our iniquity, our sin, and take us as your inheritance. He said, Behold, I will make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvelous things such as you have not, that have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. 
and all the people among whom you are whom you are shall see the work of the Lord for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. And I believe it's appropriate to say that God wants to do marvelous and awesome things for us and with us. Will we first marvel, stand in awe, and adore him? That's what will make the difference. And that's what will open our heart and fill our heart with his fullness so that he might truly do these marvelous, awesome things that we read about, that we believe he can still do, that we wait and look forward to. They are possible. It is possible to take that next step, to take, get to that next level where we can say to God, show me your glory, whatever that, however that may land for us. It may be different for wherever you're at in your walk with God, but there's always that next step to take if you're willing and you're ready to be devoted and dedicated to him above and beyond everything else. Let me pray for you. Father, we believe that you will meet us when we seek you. We believe if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. We believe, Father, that the kingdom of heaven is worth giving up everything for. We believe that following Jesus is worth giving up and unfollowing anything else for. Lord, Moses was bold enough and he was audacious enough to say, I want more. I know I haven't, hit, I haven't reached the peak. I haven't arrived. There's always more room to grow. There's always another step to take. Father, let us never become complacent. Let us never feel as if we've, we've arrived or are at this place where we can't get any holier, or we can't get any closer. Father, every one of us, we all have come to a place with you, and, and God, thank you for bringing us this far, but we look to you and believe there's even more room, that there is a God that we can know. There is a place. There is room for us to grow. Father, I pray that you would hear our hearts tonight. I pray that you would send out an invitation to each and every one that are here tonight, that we might would be would rise up tomorrow at your invitation. That we might would be ready, we might would be early, that we might would come to you alone where it's just us and you and we would seek your face and we would desire and long only to know you and you would open our hearts, enlarge our hearts, that we might receive from you what you have for us. That you might would do marvelous and awesome things like we've never seen before. Father, we love you and we thank you for this opportunity and this invitation. We pray for the strength to follow through. In Jesus' name, amen.